Hey, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast, one of the many places that we love to declare Jesus. We see you and your life living a life of resilient faith for all of your days, and we believe that listening to this message is going to be part of strengthening your faith journey. Enjoy the message. Today is week two in a new series that we kicked off last week called Declare It. Can you just say out loud, Declare It. And we are talking about the idea that's central to who we are as believers, as followers of Jesus, is a mandate for us to be those who become his declaration here on earth. For us to be those who take the good news that Jesus came for us and be those who spread that good news everywhere that we go and share that good news with absolutely everyone that we possibly can. We are being fortified in our understanding and in our passion of what it means to declare Jesus everywhere. We are being strengthened and I hope inspired in fresh ways about what it means to be people who declare the name of Jesus, to share the good news that he came and that he came for me and that if he came for me, he came for you as well. And we started last week all the way at the beginning. I think if you're going to start, then the beginning is a very good place to start. And we went all the way back to the book of Genesis. And we looked at the book of Genesis and we were reminded that there are some key factors to knowing and to understanding what is it that we are declaring. And one of those key factors is that every single one of us as humans have a tendency to reach out and to take hold of something that feeds our own desires, that we have this tendency to try to reach outside of God's call for our life, outside of God's mandate for our life, outside of God's will and intention for our life. And we think in doing it, we can add something new to our life. But what in fact happened is that we disrupted God's divine call and divine intention for our lives and our purpose. When Adam and Eve reached out and grabbed of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the place that God had told them, you have everything else except for that. They grabbed hold of it and they took hold of something. And when they did that, it disrupted their relationship with God. It disrupted their relationship with each other. It disrupted their relationship with the creation that God had called them to be fruitful and multiply over, that he had given them governing authority over. And it disrupted their access to eternal life. But the good news is that though they disrupted God's original intention for their life, we serve a God who still came for them in the midst of their brokenness and in the midst of their shame. God came for them in the same way that he came for me and in the same way that he came for you. And he covered them and he announced to them that he had a plan all the way from the beginning. And that plan was the person of Jesus. And he announced to them that there would be one who would come into the earth who would crush the head of the serpent who had deceived them. And we were reminded that Jesus was there all the way from the beginning because we serve a God who still 
comes to us. We serve a God who comes to us in the midst of our hurt, and we serve a God who comes to us in the midst of our brokenness, and we serve a God who comes to us in the midst of our disobedience, and that all of us can see ourselves in the people of Adam and Eve because all of us, just like the two of them, would have at some point or another reached out and taken hold of the thing that God told us to leave alone because we think we could do it better ourselves. And it becomes the pillar, the foundation of what we believe that we have to understand that we have a propensity for reaching out and grabbing what God told us to leave alone instead of holding fast to him and his ways and that that disrupts our relationship. We must understand that we have a disrupted relationship in order to understand that we have a relationship that is in need of repairing and that the person of Jesus is the one that God sent to repair our disrupted relationships. I want to continue on that thought today. And the main thought that I want you to leave today with and end today with is this reminder, this thought, this internal belief and understanding that it has always been Jesus. And Jesus was always there. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of meeting someone that you've met multiple times and they don't seem to remember you. You've had this experience as well. It's incredibly frustrating. Like I have a lot of grace for the fact that people meet a lot of people, especially when we come to a lovely place like this. You've met a lot of new names all at the same time. I do lots of the little social things. Like when I see somebody again that I know I've only met a couple times, I often lead with my name because I don't expect you to just remember my name. You know lots of amazing people in the world. So I'll say, hey, Meredith, we met a couple weeks ago. I do all of But by the fifth or sixth time that we've met, there is somewhat of an expectation but have you ever had this experience where someone comes up to you and they're like hey I'm Jose it's nice to meet you and you're like this is like the fifth time we have met each other you have got to be kidding me right now and we have this propensity I think or this idea that Jesus somehow shows up at the beginning of the book of Matthew when Matthew starts laying out the genealogy of how we got to Jesus, and all of a sudden we're reading it, and we're like, oh, a new character just appeared on the story. And Jesus is probably like, you have got to be kidding me, right? I have been here all the way from the beginning of this book. I have showed up all the way. I have been all throughout these stories, and we act like we've just met him for the first time when we roll into the New Testament. And it is so important that as we read through scripture, we look for Jesus throughout it. That all throughout the Old Testament, there are pictures for us of who Jesus is, and there are revelations of Jesus showing up, and there are glimpses of him. And this is critical for us to understand because it is a reminder to us that God is writing an incredibly intricate story. 
that God is intentional with the thing he is doing all the way from the beginning, that this is not just a secondary idea that he came up with, but that Jesus is here throughout the entire story that is being told, that is being recalled to us for our remembrance and for our understanding and for the revelation of Jesus. He shows up in subtle ways that maybe it's easy to miss. Like Abraham takes his son up a mountain and they're not sure what the sacrifice is going to be. Isaac in particular is very unclear on what the sacrifice is going to be. But they get to the top of the mountain and they find out that there's a ram that's already there, ready and waiting to be the swap sacrifice on, Abraham, on Isaac's behalf. It's a picture for us of what it will be like when Jesus comes to be the swap sacrifice for you and I who are deserving of the penalty and the punishment of sin, but yet never had to receive it. We see Jesus throughout the Old Testament in archetypes of what he will be like in people like Moses who came to be the great deliverer for the children of Israel who were wrapped and who were trapped in bondage and in slavery. And he came to be the one who declared to the power of oppression, let my people go and walk them out of their place of bondage and into their place of freedom. It's a picture for us of who Jesus will be like when he comes to live on the earth because he will be the one who comes to find a people trapped in bondage and abound in slavery and speaks to the power of oppression that has its hold on you and says, I've come to declare to you that it's time to let my people go and walk his people out of bondage and out of darkness and all the way into the space of freedom. And we see Jesus in glimpses coming to actually reveal himself in what we call Christophany moments. It are moments where Jesus comes and is revealed on earth before or after his incarnate state, before he came to be the one wrapped in flesh. It's moments like when Jacob is wrestling with an angel and we see that perhaps it's not actually an angel, but that Jacob wrestled with God himself. It's moments that we walk through scripture like when Joshua was there to trying to decide, am I supposed to take this army out and a messenger comes from heaven and he announces and Joshua is asking him, are you for us or are you against us? And this messenger that it would be easy to think is just an angel says you should be reminded that the place that you are is holy ground. It's Jesus. And it's moments like in the book of Daniel chapter 3 you want to turn to Daniel chapter 3, there's a story where there are these three Hebrew boys who have been placed in regional authority. They are those who have been given authority in a certain area in Babylon, but all of the sudden they find themselves out of favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is angry with them. In fact, he is furious with them, and he decides to have them thrown into the fire. And then this is what happens. In Daniel 3, 
starting in verse 24, it says, And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. He said, but I see a fourth man in the fire, and he is unbound, and they are walking around, and this fourth one that I'm looking at doesn't look like anybody else that I've seen. In fact, I would even say that he looks like he is a son of the gods. The king recognizes that there is someone walking in that fire that's not like anybody else that there's someone walking in that fire that doesn't look like the Hebrew boys that he sent in there the king looks in and he can see that there is a fourth one in the fire and this fourth one in the fire has something entirely different about him if the main theme that I want you to take home today is the thought and the reminder that Jesus has always been there the title you can walk down for your own self is that I might have gone into the fire but I'm coming out of the fire. I might have gone into the flames, but I'm coming out of the flames. That even though I'm in the midst of it, there's something else that I still have on the inside of me because I know that there is a fourth man in the fire with me. That Jesus came for them in the midst of the fire. That Jesus is coming for you in the midst of the heat. That there's something that's running after you and someone that's coming after you. And Jesus was always there. He was the fourth man in the fire. He's the one that came to reveal himself. These Hebrew boys find themselves on the other side of the powers that be and find themselves on the other side of the king who rules and reigns with authority. Yet at the same time, they find themselves in the midst of a fire. Now, I grew up here in the Midwest in fact, I grew up in the country Midwest, which means I have spent a lot of time in my life around bonfires. I have seen many, many fires in my life, and I have experimented quite a bit with the different substances that you can throw into a fire and what happens with it. Do not tell the fire department and do not tell the earth lovers because there are many chemicals that I have sent into the atmosphere by way of flames that should not have done that. I can tell you what happens when you put a plastic bottle in the fire. I know. I can tell you what happens when you put a styrofoam plate in the fire. I can tell you what happens when you put a paper plate in the fire. I can tell you what happens when you put a pop can in the fire. I can tell you what happens when you put a cup in the fire. I can tell you what happens when you put a glass bottle in the fire. I can even tell you what happens when you put an aerosol can in a fire. I know, I do not recommend it at all. It is not safe, and it does not turn out well for you. But what I have never seen in my entire life is something go in the fire and not be burned. I have never seen something go into that flame and not come out singed by it and not come out affected by it and not be consumed by it. I have never seen something go into the fire 
and not be impacted by it. There are only two instances that I can think of in Scripture where fire is burning something but not consuming it. There's a moment where Moses is walking in the desert all by himself and something grabs his attention because he walks by a bush and he says that bush is on fire. This isn't the miraculous part. This isn't even the interesting part because Moses lived out in a desert. It would not have been unusual in the dry environment for something to catch fire and be consumed. What was interesting to Moses and what grabbed Moses's attention is he said that bush is on fire, but it doesn't seem to be being consumed by the fire. It doesn't seem to be being taken over by the fire. He said, I have to go over here and check out what's happening at this bush that's on fire but is not being consumed by the fire. And then there's this other instance where these three Hebrew boys go into a fire. And they go into the fire and they're not being consumed by the fire. They're not being overcome by the fire. In fact, it says they're walking around and they're moving around. Can I tell you that God is trying to get your attention? Something unusual is going on here and God is trying to get their attention. Pay attention when unusual things are going on in your life. Pay attention when something out of the ordinary is happening in your life and in your circle. When something doesn't quite line up with the rest of the scenery. Because God might just be trying to get your attention. And he's trying to get the attention of Moses. And he's trying to get the attention of Nebuchadnezzar. And in both instances, he's trying to get their attention so that his glory can be revealed. His purpose can be made manifest so that the wonder of who he is can be seen. And when Nebuchadnezzar's attention is gotten, he what in your life gets someone else's attention? There's something that grasps his attention. And when his attention has been grasped, the thing that he sees is not just the three Hebrew boys. The thing that he sees is Jesus. What in your life gets someone's attention? And when they look, will they see Jesus? Nebuchadnezzar looks at these three Hebrew boys walking around and he sees a fourth man walking around in there. But what are these three Hebrew boys even doing in the midst of the fire in the first place? That's the question when your life is on fire, isn't it? How did I even get here? Why is my life even on fire? What is possibly going around? What are the steps that brought me to this place? And there are two paths to a life that is set ablaze, that is absolutely on fire. The first is chaos. Your life has been chaos and you have made decisions that have walked you to a place of a life on fire where you're looking around and saying, this place is going up in flames and I don't actually know how I got here. But if you looked back and answered the question and put some of the pieces together, it's the chaotic way you've been living your life. And it's the chaotic decisions that you've been making. And it's the chaotic people you've been hanging around and they've just been setting everything in your 
your life on fire. The other way is conviction. That you have made clear, steady, godly decisions that have put you at opposition with the powers that be or that have put you in a place where now the heat is pressing up on you and now you find yourself in a place where it feels like it might be easier to bend and it might be easier to give in than it is to just simply hold to the truth that you said you wanted to live by and hold on steady to your righteousness and hold on steady to all of your convictions. If your life is on fire, it is likely one of these two paths, the path of chaos or the path of conviction. The good news is that whether it's the path of chaos or the path of conviction, Jesus is with you still. Jesus is walking with you still. He comes and finds you in the fire. But let's back up to the beginning of Daniel chapter 3 and find out what it is that got our three Hebrew boys in this place of the fire. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, And King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose weight was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. It's about 90 feet tall. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather all the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all of the officials in the provinces to come and dedication of the image of the everybody. He gathered everybody together and that he had set up. And then all those same people, he lists them again, jump down there to verse 4. It says, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn of the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, that you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." And therefore, as soon as all of the people heard the sound of the hornpipe and the lyre and the trigon and the herp and the bagpipe and every kind of music, all of the peoples and the nations and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image of the king that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar has gone into this area in Babylon and he has erected a golden image that is 90 feet tall and he has made a new proclamation to all of the people that I have created an image of a God and every time you hear all of this music sound and all of these trumpets play, it is an announcement to you that you are to come and you are to bow down before this idol. Let's read on in verse Eight, it says, and therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, or that is other Babylonians, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree to every man who hears the sound of the horn. They tell him what his decree was. Jump to verse 12. 
It says, and there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, they pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious and rage, and he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. And so they brought the men before the king. They brought these young men before Nebuchadnezzar because they have been in their region continuing to do their work. And all of the sudden, some snitches come up and they want to let King Nebuchadnezzar know that there's some three boys that you haven't seen out on the other side of town. And when the bagpipes play, they're not bowing. And Nebuchadnezzar is not pleased about it. And so he tells them, go get them and bring them here to me. Then we continue in 3 and 16, verse 3 and 16, it says, and so Shadrach, basically what happens after this is he says to them, is this true? And I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to play the music and I'm going to give you a second chance now that he's got them there. And in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They said, but even if not, even if we're not delivered from the thing that you're walking us into, we still won't do the thing that you're asking of us. So it is with these three boys that it is not the chaos of their life that has brought them to the fire. It is the conviction of their character that has brought them to the place of the heat. And they find themselves in a place where now they are not just out in the side somewhere refusing to bow to the ordinance of the king. They are looking the king face to face and they are feeling the heat from the flame and he says to them I'll give you a second chance and I'll give you another opportunity and instead of what rises up on the inside of them being yielding and instead of what rises up on the inside of them being a desire to bow down what rises up on the inside of them is a but even if not and I tell you, you have to get a but even if not on the inside of you. Too many of us serve God with a God if you will. And there are times when God will. And there are ways that God does. And there are moments where he shows up. But I'm asking you and I'm telling you for the people of God to be his declaration on the inside of the earth. To be his people that stand. You have to be able to live with a but even if not. 
Even if I never reach that money point that I want to reach. Even if I never get the spouse that I'm hoping for. Even if the baby never shows up. Even if the promotion doesn't work out. Even if my relationships don't come like I wanted them to. Even if the healing is never manifest on this side of eternity. Even if I never see the thing that I prayed for. Even if I never see the thing that I'm asking for. Even if, but even if not, I will never bow down to anything else other than the Lord of hosts and other than the King of Kings, other than the God Most High, even if not, they look at the King and they say, we know who he is. We know that he's able to deliver us. But even if not, our conviction will not allow us to do what you are asking of us. Our conviction will never allow us to bow before your false idol. Man, we love people of conviction. I mean, when you see somebody who's just flat-footed, chin-high, clear on their convictions. We admire, we say things like, I don't even know if I agree with that person, but man, I love that conviction. I can respect that. Is it possible that what is hindering your ability to declare who Jesus is, is not the passion of your heart, but the conviction that is required to stand as a follower of who he is perhaps not enough people have said about you, I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, but I can respect it. I can respect a life lived by that, like that. I can respect the choices that they're making. I can respect the way that they have decided to stand and follow the God that they serve. We love people of conviction. But for so many of us, it's so easy when we feel the heat of the flame to find reasons to compromise. We find very good reasons to compromise. Like, well, I'm just trying to be someone who people can relate to. I just want to be where the sinners are, you know, like Jesus was. To misunderstand what Jesus was doing when he called sinners to his table and to sit with him and knelt down near those who found themselves in brokenness and in shame and to compare that to your desire to go hang out with the club at the club with all of your buds is a gross underestimation of what it was that Jesus was doing you are not doing what Jesus was doing when you are finding excuses to live outside of your conviction and masking it in holy pretend evangelism. 
We find reasons to compromise our convictions because we say things like, well, when I can adjust on this thing, then maybe I'll be voted for for this particular political role. And then once I'm in that position, I'll be able to make even more of an impact. It's just this one time, Jesus, that I want to compromise so that the crowd will be for me. We love people who stand on their convictions, but we also are often people who skirt on our convictions. And what was it about these three boys who had a lot to lose? Never mind their lives. They were given positions of authority and given positions of power. They were regional directors over a portion of the land of Babylon. They had authority and power and prestige. And all of that was on the line to lose it when they heard this command come forward. What is on the line for you to lose? Because it makes you vulnerable to compromising your convictions, and yet they held fast. And yet, even with the heat blaring from the furnace, even with the heat getting hotter in the moment, they stood on their convictions. Part of what allowed them to stand on the place of their conviction is that they... <coughs> excuse me, is that they knew where their attention was and they knew the work that they had been assigned to. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar sent out this decree and sent out this proclamation and they didn't come running to talk to Nebuchadnezzar about it. They didn't start a big hoopla about it in their region. They simply went on doing what it was they were called to do. They simply went on doing the work. It says that when they came and told on them, Nebuchadnezzar had to send someone off to go find them. Because they were just doing what they... Can I tell you the power of your attention to just stay on your assignment? The power of the ability to just look at what is the work that I have been given to do? What is the thing that I have been called to do? What is the thing that God is asking of me? And just do that thing. We feel like everything that comes up, we have to give our attention to that. We feel like everything that happens, we have to run and make an announcement. Can you imagine if they would have run in and Nebuchadnezzar, 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 we don't like this at all. But they just kept doing what they were supposed to do. And then when they get called to Nebuchadnezzar, he says to them, I'm going to give you another chance. And they say to him, we don't need to answer you. Or we don't need to argue with you about this. There's no discussion to be had about whether or not this is going to happen. There is no scenario in which we are going to be bowing down to that idol. But we get pulled into arguments that are foolishness. And we get pulled into arguments that are beneath us. And we get pulled into arguments that have nothing to do with the thing and the assignment that God called us to. And it wobbles and it kilters us off of our place of conviction because it begins to create confusion in the place where you used to have clarity. The issue with Eve and the snake was that she engaged in the conversation. 
He said to her, can you eat from this tree? And she said, no. End of discussion. Turn around. Walk away. But she didn't. And the snake said to her, oh, surely not. That's not what's going on. And the confusion begins to slip in. There are certain conversations that are not profitable for you to be spending energy and time on. And sometimes it's not about the other person. It's about your ability to maintain your own conviction and to stand in the thing that God spoke to you and that God is speaking to you and that he's calling you to. He said to him, we don't need to answer you about this the answer is the same we will not bow and the other thing that they had was they had their togetherness they had the three of them together they had accountability I know somehow we have heard accountability as a dirty word. Somehow we have heard accountability as a place of pain or as a place to be avoided. But what they had in their friendship was they had accountability together that we are going to be men who follow after the thing that God has called us to. And we are going to be men who do the things that God spoke to us. And we are not going to be the kind of men who bow down to any. This is who we are. And they found accountability can I tell you I want you to replace whatever that feeling is and whatever that thought is that you have right now as I intentionally repeatedly say the word accountability whatever that thing is I want you to replace it with the word safety and strength accountability brings safety and strength to your life Accountability brings safety and strength to your life. Because they had each other, they had the ability to withstand the pressure that was coming against them. Because they were accountable to one another, they had the ability to find safety when they locked arms together. Accountability is the thing that when you're getting close to the edge of the cliff, says, hey, bro, you need to back up. That's safety. Accountability is the thing that says, hey, you're looking a little weak today, babe. Let me stand up beside you. Accountability is the thing that says, hey, every time he comes around, you look a little weak, babe. Let me make sure I'm always around anytime he's around. That's what accountability is like. Accountability is the thing that goes, hey, man, every time we talk about your family, it seems like you have four drinks instead of one. Let me make sure I'm always around anytime we're talking about your family because that's not who we are. That's not what we're going to do. Accountability is safety. 
Accountability is strength. Accountability is that the thing that we need is not less togetherness. The thing that we need is not less accountability. The thing that allowed them to stand in their conviction and look in the eyes of the king and say, there's no way we're doing what you asked, was the fact that they had one another, was the fact that they had each other, was the fact that they could call each other and stand together and work together and be accountable to one another. It was the thing that made their declaration of who they were and of who their God was proof, fireproof to stand through the thing that God was walking them through because they were together and they could stand on that thing. They knew where their work was and what to give their attention to and they knew they didn't have to argue about lots of different things and they knew that they had a togetherness. When Paul would write to his young protege, Timothy, in the book of 2 Timothy, he would lay out some things of what it looks like to be a strengthened leader inside of the church. And look what he would say. It's in 2 Timothy 2 and 22. I think we have 2 Timothy 2 and 22. He would say, so flee youthful passions and pursue. Give your attention and your work to righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, alongside someone else. Who else is walking with you, providing safety and strength in this? And then he would say, and have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The conviction of who you are is able to stand when you know what to give your attention to, what requires your work, when we know not to get into foolish arguments over every disagreement and be swayed off of the place of our conviction. Our convictions are held when we have someone to stand alongside and we commit to holding each other accountable and we say, I am here to bring safety and I need some strength in my own life, so let's walk this thing out together. And these three boys went into a fire. And when they were in the midst of the fire, Jesus came to them in the midst of the thing that they thought would be the end of them, in the midst of the thing that they thought would take every position of authority they had, and every position of power they had, and every bit of influence and respect that they had. It's the opposite of what we looked at last week. That Eve reached out and grabbed something with her own hand, thinking that it would add to her life, and in fact, it disrupted what she had. They were willing to go all the way into the flame of the thing that looked like it would take absolutely everything from them. And in the midst of that place, Jesus came down into the middle of the fire with them and he met them there because it has always been Jesus and it will always be Jesus who God sent to rescue you. And they come out of the fire. They come back out of the fire and when they come out, it says they don't even look like they've been singed and they don't even smell like they've been near the smoke. It doesn't even look like it's impacted them or affected them. And the fire perhaps was not even about them, but about the people around them. 
because when it looked like they were losing their influence and when it looked like they were losing their life, God was about to use that thing to increase the influence and increase the power and increase the respect and the authority that they had. Look what King Nebuchadnezzar says at the end of the chapter in Daniel 3 and 24. It says, and then King Yep, therefore, sorry, 3 and 29, it says, therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speak against anything that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. He was a very violent man. And that their house is laid in ruins. And there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then... The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The thing that it looked like would end them actually became the thing that allowed the proclamation of who God was to move farther in their cities. I'm telling you, we're backing down and we're bowing in places because we think that it allows us to become more relatable when in fact it's the very place where we need to be standing in our conviction because it's the thing that would allow the proclamation and the declaration of who God is to go even farther, to be understood even clearer to be known even more purely to go to the farthest edges the king makes a proclamation that says because of the conviction of these three boys and because I've seen Jesus in the midst of the fire with them because I looked and I saw that there was another one standing with them and there was another one walking alongside of them I saw that and I witnessed it and because of that I'll no longer allow anyone to speak ill of them or of their God I'll no longer allow anyone to speak poorly of who they are or of who their God is. It's the thing they thought would ruin them, but it's in fact the thing that elevated them, and it's the thing that they would thought would allow them to lose their position, but in fact, he said, and I'm promoting you even higher. The fire isn't the thing that's going to take you out. The fire is the thing that God's going to use to promote you even higher. The fire isn't the thing that's going to end you. You're coming out of the fire, and it's the thing that God's going to use to push you even more. It's the thing that God's going to use to put you into your next place of promotion. It's not the fire to be feared. It's compromising your convictions that is to be feared. It said that God met them in the place of their fire. Somebody's in the place of their fire today. Maybe from your own chaos or maybe from the place of your conviction. But you know it feels like my life is on fire. It feels like everything around me is in flames and it feels like I can't find the right thing to look to and it feels like I don't I'm not sure how I got here it might have been the chaos of my own decisions or it might have been my conviction and my refusal to bend but what I know is the heat has been turning up in my life what I know is it's been getting hotter around me what it knows is it feels like this is the thing that's gonna take me out and God sent me here to tell you today that he's with you in the fire that he's with you in the fire that he's with you in the fire just look for him because he's right there there's another one standing with you there's another one in the midst of it there's a God there's one who looks 
with you right there in the midst of your fire. If you know that that's you and you feel like your life is on fire, just put your hands straight in the air right now. Father God, we pray over each and every one of these lives. God, we pray right now for there's for their life right now to be in alignment with who you are. We speak over them that the fire will not overcome you. We speak over them that the flame cannot have you. We speak over them that the enemy cannot have you. We speak over them that whether it's your conviction or whether it's your chaos of your own life, that you're coming out of the fire. That there is something that God has for you. That there's something that God's doing in your life. That there's something that God is working for you. That there's a tomorrow that he has planned for you. That there's a next that he has planned for you. That there's another side of this flame. There's another side of this fire. There's another side of what he sees in you. That promotion is on the way. That increase about what he's speaking is coming over you. I break every plan of the enemy. I break every assignment of the enemy. I break everything on the inside of you that wants to bow in the midst of the flame. I break everything against you, every lie of the enemy, every whisper of the enemy, and I say that you have focus for the thing that God is giving you. I say that you have attention for the work that he's giving you. I speak over your life that he is bringing accountability partners around you. Those to bring you safety and security. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you're coming out of the fire. You're coming out of the fire. Because Jesus is with you. We thank you, Jesus.